Well, I'd like to welcome everybody here. It's a blessing to uh, see everybody today. Let's all bow before Almighty Yahweh. Father, we come before you. We thank you for the blessings of the day. We thank you for the blessings in our lives, for all that you provide, for those blessings seen and unseen. We pray, Yahweh, that you would be with us always, that, we would, that you would guide us and direct our ways, that you would give us a heart to serve you, a heart to change and to grow, a heart to show the fervency of love and compassion to our fellow brother and sister. Father, we thank you for all the wonderful things you have given and pray that your blessings again be upon this assembly, upon those here, and certainly upon those listening abroad. And we ask all this in Yahshua's beloved name. Hallelujah. Y'all may be seated. It is uh, certainly a blessing to uh, see everybody here today. Where today, I want to begin a series. It's going to be quite a, a long series. But on the fruits of the Spirit. And, um, you know, this is a very important topic. Very simply put, you know, I believe that Yahweh is more concerned about how we behave and uh, treat one another than the doctrines we believe in. Now, that's not to say that doctrines doesn't matter. You know, we know that what we believe matters and what we do matters with worship, but certainly I believe that there's a heavier emphasis on what we will see as a weightier matters. You know, one of the things I've noticed looking and reviewing Yahshua's teachings and his ministry is this emphasis he puts on, again, what I would call the weightier matters, on things like love and mercy and, and faith and grace and that sort of thing. You know, we know that there were theological differences during the first century. I mean, I could rattle off several between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes and the Herodians and all these Jewish groups that existed during that time. And Yahshua had ample opportunity to go through these theological debates. And certainly he addressed a few, but he focused mostly on the inner man, you know, who we are on the inside, our character, the ethics. You know, for example, we heard in the reading today, Matthew 23, 23, Yahshua there defines their weightier matters, and he defines them as a judgment, mercy, and faith. You know, the fact is, as believers, we can observe the Sabbath and feast days without blemish. We can do it just on point. But if we're not a good person inside, then what we do in that respect will do us no good in the end. We will gain nothing from it. You see, he wants us to be living and breathing examples of what it means to be a disciple of his. And this, again, includes the ethics, the characteristics, the attributes that are so important to him. And, you know, I don't know of a better synopsis, a better list, than the list we find in Galatians 5, verse 22, known as the fruits of the Spirit. So I want to begin there. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23 says, But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, Temperance, self-control, against such there is no law. Now, I believe that this is one of the most important scriptures we find in the Bible. It lists those attributes that Yahweh wants us to adopt and live by as believers in him. You know, as believers, it's important that we understand things like love, peace, long-suffering, all of the characteristics we find here. You know, these are the characteristics that change who we are in the inside. And I think that's the crux of the issue, that Yahweh's looking for a change on the inside. You know, anybody can go through the motions of keeping the Sabbath or calling on the right name, really, if you think about it. But changing who we are on the inside is very hard. It's not easy to do. You know, again, I've already mentioned, but Yahshua considered these things a weightier matters. You know, I can't stress enough how important these attributes are to the one we worship. You know, for me, this is one of the defining differences between a true believer, what I would consider a true believer, and a Pharisee. So what do you mean by that? Well, the Messiah reprimanded the scribes and Pharisees multiple times, but, you know, ironically enough, in the evangel reading today, we read the passage that I would refer to, Matthew 23. Matthew 23 is also known as the seven woes, because within it, Yahshua chastises and gives seven woes to these scribes and Pharisees. You know, but the truth is, over the years... I've seen many, many examples of this pharisaical belief, pharisaical behavior. You know, I've seen examples from 
No? I mean, again, multiple, multiple examples over the years. You know, for simply going through the motions of obeying the commandments like the Sabbath without implementing and showing love and compassion and other fruits that we find here, then I fear we're wasting our time. And that's why, you know, I've decided to go through the, each one of these fruits. It's going to be nine weeks, so we'll uh, certainly surpass the uh, feast and, and uh, then some. But it's important that we realize, again, the importance of these characteristics, that we learn to change not only what we do theologically, not only what we do doctrinally, but what we do characteristically, you know, how we behave with, among one another. You know, remember that Yahshua said that we must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees if we're going to enter the kingdom. Now, I can assure you we're not going to out-Pharisee a Pharisee. We're not going to do better than the Pharisees did when it comes to the written law. We're not going to do it. You can try to keep the Sabbath better than the Pharisees, I can assure you. You will never keep the Sabbath better than the Pharisees. You will never keep the commandments better than they could. They could. They dotted every I. They crossed every T. They were meticulous with the commandments, with the laws. But Joshua said, ironically enough, that we must exceed their righteousness if we're going to be found worthy of the kingdom. So... How do we, how are we found worthy? Or we're worthy by living the characteristics we find here in Galatians. That's how we're found worthy. You see, that's again the difference between a Pharisee or a Pharisaical believer and a true believer in the Messiah. It's a person who's not only keeping the Sabbath, it's a person not only keeping the right names, keeping the feast days, eating clean, but it's also a person showing love, showing mercy showing compassion, showing forgiveness, showing long-suffering, showing all the attributes that we find here. You know, it's not a coincidence that this is the first attribute that we find, love, in this list. Yahshua verified in Matthew 22, you don't have to turn there, but Matthew 22, Yahshua confirmed, confirmed that the two greatest commandments were love. Number one was to love Yahweh. Number two was to love our neighbor as ourself, which actually derives from Leviticus 1918. So I'd like to begin there. Loving our neighbors ourselves. So let's read that. Leviticus 19:18. Notice real quick, this is the second greatest commandment within the word, but where do we find it? We find it with one with what's called the law of Moses. Now obviously Yahweh gave the law to Moses, but it's not the Ten Commandments. You know, people say, why would we keep the law of Moses? Well, in the law of Moses, we find here the second greatest commandment within the word. So it says there, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge. You know, that's an important concept. I know we're focused on love today, but it's also important because Yahweh says it within the law that we're not to, that we're not to hold grudges, that we're not to try to get even with one another. We're not to do that as believers. We're to let things go. We're to forgive. We're to show compassion. So this is not only, by the way, New Testament concept. We see it right here within the law that Yahweh gave to Moses. It says, against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, I am Yahweh. So Yahweh commands here. He commands that we are to love our neighbor as ourself. So to begin with, I want to just emphasize here that this is a command. This is not something optional. This is not something we can do if we choose to do. No, this is something that Yahweh says to do. You know, again, according to Yahshua in the New Testament, this is the second greatest commandment within the word. You know, knowing that, don't you think that it's pretty important? You know, it's the second greatest commandment. You would think that we would strive to follow this. You think that we would try to implement this command within our lives, the command to love one another as we would ourselves. So what does this mean? We're the same standards we apply to ourselves. The way we want to be treated, we should treat others. You know, for example... If we desire to be loved, and who doesn't desire to be loved? Who doesn't desire to be shown compassion? Who doesn't desire to have some patience shown their way? Or, you know, if we desire those things, we as believers must be willing to show those same attributes to our fellow man, especially within the assembly. And, you know, sometimes we don't do a great job with that. Sometimes we just fall miserably short with that. But that's what Scripture says. Scripture says that we're to love one another as we would ourselves. And again, we need to ask, would we want to fill in the blank? Would we want to be shown compassion? Would we want to be shown patience? Would we want to be shown concern? 
And if we do, and we all should, we then must be willing to do the same. You know, I believe this is what it means to love someone as yourself. The same standards we hold for ourselves, the same standards we should also be applying to others. You know, John, in 15 verse 12, we find here Yahshua reviewing this command. And he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So Yahshua here gives a command. He says, this is my command. You know, I think, in, if, any, if anything, this was really Yahshua's cornerstone command. This was really what he, what he was trying to ingrain. Now, what was this? Where he says that we're to love one another as he loved us. So we see here Yahshua heightening the standards, I believe, from what we found in the Old Testament. So how did Yahshua love us? How did Yahshua show his love? How did Yahshua show his benevolence? How did he show his agape? Where he died for us, he bled for us, he suffered for us, he gave everything he had so that we might have the hope of eternal life. That is how our Savior showed his love. Now listen, this is the same love that we're to have for our fellow man, especially within the body of Messiah, especially within the assembly. If we're not showing this concern, this, this fervency, you know, I think we're falling short. I really do. And also, as we contemplate the love of our Savior, we should realize how deep our love should be for one another because he says, as he loved us, we should love him. It's a real hard standard to follow. This is the second greatest commandment, though, within the word. You know, if we can't fulfill this command, then I believe everything we do is for naught. I really do. You know, we can keep the Sabbath. We can, again, keep the feast days. We can, we can check every minor uh, ingredient in a list. But if we're not showing this agape love, if we're not showing this concern, this compassion to one another, then I'm afraid that everything we're doing is for naught. The command to love is the foundation of Yahweh's word. You know, without love, we know nothing Nothing matters. We know that without love, nothing is, nothing is um, again, matters. It's, it's for not. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul said that all things would pass away except for one, and that is love. Everything will go away. Everything will become, will, 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 will go by the wayside except for one, and that is love. So, again, the Messiah says here that we're to love one another as he loved us. Now, we know this command isn't easy. But again, it is a command that our Savior gave, and we're to strive to follow it. And you know, it's really hard in many ways to give a message like this. It's not hard to say, but, but to find a way to convey it in a way where you take it home with you, and you begin to change who you are on the inside, that is hard. Because you have to be willing, and you have to want that. You have to want to hear the word and apply the word, and believe me when I say, applying this is not easy. It really does require a change of who we are, of what we are. And nobody's there. I'm not there. I'm, I, I'm sure you're not there. We all have room to improve in this. We all have room to improve. Now, what does it mean to love? You know, I say love and the importance of love, and we're commanded to love. But what does it really mean? You know, most people, when they think of love, they think of an emotion. You know, I met this girl or whatever, and I love them. Or, you know, love is so much more than that. Love is, love is something we do. It's not only an emotion. It is an emotion. I mean, there's no, it is an emotion. But love is what we do. Love is how we behave. You know, for example, one way in which we show love is through forgiveness. This is one of the greatest ways we show love. I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to turn to uh, Proverbs 17. And I'm going to quote, this is from the uh, King James, New King James and also the NIV, both convey this point. I kind of like how the NIV conveys it, so I've included that here. So Proverbs 17, verse 9, it says, He who covers a transgression seeks love. And then also the NIV says, He who covers over an offense promotes love. So we see here that to cover an offense, meaning what? Meaning that we're to forgive. That's what it means to cover an offense, to forgive. is to promote 
We're to show love. You know, forgiveness is one of the most important attributes of love, of what it means to show agape. You know, whether it's a marriage, a friendship, for that relationship to thrive, forgiveness is a big part. You know, I've been married 20 years. I know (laughs) forgiveness is a big part. It's a big part. But that's true with any relationship. That's true with any friendship. That's true with an assembly. That's true in marriage. It's true if we're going to show love that we must learn to forgive one another. You know, think about all the examples we find in Scripture of this single virtue. Think about all the times that our Father in Heaven showed forgiveness in the Old Testament, Israel of old. You know, Isaiah 1, it's one of my favorite passages. I think it really conveys and shows the benevolence of our Father in Heaven. There in Isaiah 1, we find Israel in a state of complete apostasy. I mean, they were just down in the dumps. They were really, really in bad shape. And Yahweh had every justifiable reason to just cast them by the wayside. But he did not. In fact, we find in that passage that he pleaded for the repentance. Now, we know historically Israel never changed, never repented, and nothing changed. And they eventually went into Babylonian bondage for their sins. But you see, he wanted nothing more than for them to repent so that he could forgive their sin. Even though... They were in a state of complete apostasy. You know, we know that our Savior also gave many parables on forgiveness. In every example, we find the same outcome. And that is, it is incumbent upon us to forgive. You know, in Yahshua's example of prayer, he said that if we don't forgive others, what did he say? If we don't forgive others, he said, our Father, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. My Father in heaven will not forgive you. If you will not forgive others, Yahweh will not forgive you. You know, for many, forgiveness is not easy. Many people, and believe me, I've seen many people, even in the assembly, many people, they will hold onto anger and animosity, onto a grudge. For part of that is letting go of that grudge. That is what forgiveness is. Even though forgiveness is not always easy as believers, it's a calling, it's an obligation, it's something we must do. Realize me saying that. I'm a very fervent believer in the Sabbath. But realize that forgiveness is more important than the Sabbath. If we can't forgive, we're wasting our time here today. It is more important than the Sabbath. And again, the Sabbath is huge. But it's more important than the Sabbath to forgive, to show that compassion. You know, over the years, I've had to overcome my own shortcomings, my own struggles, and some I'm still working on. Sometimes overcoming takes time. But, you know, over time, we can conquer, or at least diminish, those shortcomings. But we have to try. You know, I believe the secret to change is two parts. Number one, to acknowledge that shortcoming. You know, sometimes we just refuse to recognize that we have an issue, don't we? You know, we just refuse to recognize that we have some sort of problem that we have to deal with. Well, that's the first part to change, is to recognize that we have an issue. And if we're human beings, I can assure you, you have an issue. We all have issues. We all have things we can do better. So number one is to recognize we have an issue. Number two is persistence and to have a never-quit attitude, to realize that it may take years It may take a lifetime. But at minimum, I'm going to diminish my shortcoming, if not remove it. You know, if we're going to change, then we must never give up. We must never lose hope. You know, when it comes to love, we can't ignore or forget about this characteristic, this this forgiveness that we're talking about. And this includes our spouse. This includes our brother in the faith. This includes even... Our enemy. You know, Yahshua said that we were to pray for enemy. We're not to hold grudges. We're not to hold animosity for people. No, we're to let it go. We're to forgive. Now, it doesn't mean we can always reconcile the situation. Now, I say sometimes I often define forgiveness in two parts. Number one, you have the first part of letting go of our own animosity. As believers, we should not have animosity. We should not have hatred boiling within our heart. We shouldn't have that. Now, now the second part, though, is that reconciliation. You can't always reconcile. We, we know that, right? You can't always reconcile with a, with a person. You just can't do it. But you can let go of your own animosity. 
That, that is an obligation you have as a believer. You can't control what the person does, but you can certainly control what you do and what you feel and how you react. And that is what we're to do. Now, I want to close on forgiveness. I want to quote here a, a, a or quote from Martin Luther King Jr. He said, we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. Now, listen to what he says, and I believe this is so true. He says, he who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. You know, this quote here holds a lot of truth. In essence, if we can't forgive, what he's saying is we can't show love. And I think that's true. If we can't let go of animosity, if we can't let go of anger, if we're going to hold a grudge, then we really don't know how to show love. Now, another attribute or characteristic of love is selflessness. That's a big one, selflessness. I want to quote from Paul, Philippians 2, 2 through 3. It says, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. You know, this is one of my favorite passages by Paul in the New Testament. We find here so many important, important truths and lessons with what he says. He begins by saying that we're to be of one accord, that we're to be of the same mind. You know, unity is one of those things that will literally make or break a relationship. And again, this is true for a spouse. This is true for a family member. This is true for a brother or sister in the faith, for an assembly. You know, Paul also says here, let nothing be done in selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, lowliness of mind, what does that mean? Or Paul simply referring to humility, that we're to be humbled. And he says, esteeming others better than himself. Now realize that this concept he's speaking about here goes against our raw, carnal human nature. For the carnal man, it's always about me. It's how I can succeed. Is how I can benefit. Is how I can prosper. Paul says here, though, that the believer should be more focused and more concerned about the other person. That's the truth we find here. Now, what does it mean when he says selfish ambition? Or this phrase comes from the Greek word erythia. According to Strong's, refers to a desire to put oneself forward, a partisan, a fractious Spirit. Now, this same source goes on to say this about this word. It says, before New Testament times, this word is found only in Aristotle, where it denotes a self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means. Now, we all don't know the nature of politics, especially as we're seeing right now in this nation. And I believe that our political environment is more partisan and more corrupt than it's ever been. And as believers, we're not to emulate corrupt politicians. That's what Paul is conveying through this word, this, this kind of corruption. Paul says here that we're not to be self-centered, that we're not to be self-seeking, that we're not to be self-focused. Instead, we're to think lowly or humbly, and again, look to the needs of others before our own. And again, that's something very hard for most people to do, because human nature is to care for yourself, to watch out for number one, to focus on your own needs, not on the needs of others. But Paul says something very different here. Paul says to focus on the needs of others before your own need. You know, a believer must learn to look past self. And that's a big obstacle for a lot of people, self. Because we're focused, our raw human nature is focused to, uh, to uh, be concerned about self. The scripture says to look past this and focus on the needs of others instead. You know, doing this is an act of love. Humbling ourselves and caring for others is one of the greatest examples of love we can show, I believe. You know, some of us, we have some great examples in this assembly of people doing this. Concerned for others, helping others, willing to really sacrifice for the good of others. You know, Paul also speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 13. 
1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Again, from the King James, New King James, it says, Love does not seek its own. And from the NIV, it says, Love is not self-seeking. This entire passage, 1 Corinthians 13, is known as the love chapter. Within it, Paul explains what love is and what love is not. So we'll see many attributes of love from this passage. He begins by saying that love is not self-seeking. It's not self-seeking. You see, there's no room for a self-centered believer within the kingdom. And that's the truth. There's no room in Yahweh's kingdom for a person who is obsessed about self. We need to move beyond that. Now, what's the opposite of selfishness? This is what the Bible defines as meekness or humility. Yahweh's word speaks volumes when it comes to this characteristic. You know, for example, we know that Moses was chosen because Scripture says that he was more meek or meeker than any other man. That's why Moses was chosen. You see, his number one attribute wasn't courage. It wasn't military might. It wasn't his speech. No, it was his humility. It was his meekness. He was a humbled man. And for that reason, Yahweh chose him. You know, we can all remember when with the burning bush. I mean, he made every excuse. He didn't want that job. He was meek. But Yahweh saw something within him. And again, it was that humility. You know, to show love, we must have humility. And again, be willing to sacrifice for others. This is a real big part of it. You know, remember again that love is far more than an emotion. Love is what we do. You know, I can say I love you, but if I don't do anything to show that, well, that love is, is pretty plain, isn't it? There, there's nothing behind it. There's nothing supporting it. Because we're not willing to do anything. We're, not, we, we're only willing to speak the word, but we're not willing to show that concern by what we do. You know, a relationship is all about sacrifice and providing for the other person. You know, this is especially true in holy matrimony, marriage. Very, very important characteristic there to, to support one another, to sacrifice. For, and if, if, if two people within marriage is unwilling to sacrifice for one another, I can assure you that, that two things, either that's going to be a miserable marriage or that marriage will not last. We've got to learn to sacrifice for one another. You know, I've known some spouses, mostly men, who believe that their position gives, gives them the right to ignore humility, to be overbearing. You know, those examples, I think about our Savior and what Yahshua said. You know, Yahshua, one of my favorite, favorite quotes from Yahshua said, he said, I come not to be served, but to serve. Now think about that for just a moment. Let that sink in. I come not to be served, but to serve. Consider the impact of that statement. You know, again, I've, I've seen examples where people aren't interested in serving. When our Savior walked this earth, nobody was greater than him. If anybody was justified in having the attitude that, that, that you can put yourself on a pedestal, it would have been Yahshua. But Yahshua never did that. Yahshua was humbled. He was meek from the very beginning. And again, I mean, the, the quote there, that it come not to be served, but to serve, is, in, in my view, is just phenomenal because it shows the heart that he had and the heart that we should have as believers. So if, if, if position was a reason for pride or selfishness, our Savior would have had every reason to, to um, be served. But again, as we know, this was not his purpose. Instead, we find a Savior who insisted on serving the needs of others. You know, we're to follow in his example. As he gave all for mankind, we must be willing to do the same. And this is, again, what it means to show love. Now, we also see in Romans 12, verse 9, that love is sincere. I want to read that. Romans 12, 9 through 10, it says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. What does Paul mean here when he says, let love be without hypocrisy? Well, this phrase, without hypocrisy, is from the Greek, anopokritos, which means unfeigned or sincere. So that's what he's saying, sincere. He's saying that our love cannot be disingenuous. It cannot be dishonest. It must be sincere. You know, I feel very blessed to be here because I know that most, if not all, of you have very sincere love for those in this room. And that's a very great thing to know, and I think that's true. 
Now, that's not to say we're all best buddies. (laughs) That's not to say we always agree. But I do know that we all have concern for one another. You know, the fact is, when you get a group of people together, there's always going to be some issues. But overall, I know that we have a genuine, sincere love here in this assembly. You know, you, you learn a lot after being in the ministry for 20 years about human nature and uh, what it's like to oversee and shepherd a group of people. And uh, it's hard. It really is because there's a lot of differences. There's a lot of different viewpoints, a lot of different uh, perspectives, a lot of different convictions. Even in this room, <laughs> there's a lot of different convictions. But the one thing we must all share in common is what we're talking about today. And that is that we must have sincere agape love for one another. And if we don't, again, and I'm not being sarcastic. I'm not, I'm not saying this to get a rise. But if we don't, we really are wasting our time. We're really wasting our time if we're not here for the right cause. And we find the same lesson in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. This is a really great passage. Realize that what we find from Peter is a command. It's no different from anything else we find in the Torah. It's a command. Peter says here that we're to purify our souls through the sincere love of the brethren. In the Greek, the word purify means to make clean, we're to sanctify. Now, he also says here that we're to love one another fervently, fervently from a pure heart. The word fervently comes from the Greek ektinos. According to Thayer's, it means to love earnestly, fervently, or intensely. So we find that to love fervently means to love with earnestness, with intensity. You see, it's not just a normal love. That's not just some sort of verbal confession. No, this is something very, very more deep. We also find from this same source that actinos is from a verb showing action. So again, love is not something we say, right? Love is something we do. Now, Peter also says here that we're to love from a pure heart. I want to share a a quote talking about that from Barnes Notes. I don't think I... No. So here's what Barnes Notes says. It says a phrase with a pure heart fervently means, number one, that it should be genuine love proceeding from a heart in which there is no guile or hypocrisy. And number two, that it should be intense affection. Intense affection. Affection. For just a moment, say that in your mind. Intense affection. That's, that's, that's very important, right? That's very significant. Actinos, it goes on to say, Actinos, not cold or formal. So our love should not be cold. We should not be cold to one another. But he goes on to say, but ardent and strong. So we see from this reference, our love for one another must not only be sincere, But based on the Greek here, it should be intense. It should be overwhelming, meaning it should not be cold or frigid. Overwhelming. Now, I realize that to love fervently from a pure heart isn't easy. But again, this is something that Yahweh says we're to do. And again, I would say once more that this is more important than the Sabbath. And I am not excusing or justifying ever not keeping the Sabbath. Ever. But it's that important. It's that important that we understand the seriousness, the the, the gravity of what we find here throughout Scripture. That not only are we to love, but we're to do so fervently. We're to do so intensely. We're to do so as Yahshua did for us. Now, I believe that many people in the faith do a great job with the Sabbath and other commandments. You know, but again, many people fall miserably short when it comes to this. And as believers, we need to be better than that. You know, when we compare keeping the Sabbath with it or or using the name or whatever with showing sincere, fervent love from a pure heart, believe me when I say that keeping the Sabbath is the easy part. 
Keeping the feast days is the easy part. Yes, always, I'm always concerned about, you know, on the flip side, these people who say, I can't keep the Sabbath or I can't keep the feast days. And I'm thinking, how in the world will you ever do what's really required? Because truthfully, keeping the Sabbath is the easy part. You know, anybody who says or believes that the life of a believer is easy, you're wrong. It's not easy. Now, we grow to love Yahweh's word, and, and I think everybody here loves Yahweh's word. We grow to, grow to love the Sabbath and the name and, and the other commandments we find. But we must progress beyond that. We must go beyond that. And again, what I'm hoping today is, is, that, not only, is that what I'm saying, you're going to consider and ponder and think about and, and implement and try to live. Because if all I do is say what I say today, and then you go home at the end of the day, and nothing changes... Everything I just did is for naught. It has absolutely no value, no merit. Unless you guys go home, you take it home with you, you think about it, and you apply it. That's the only way this message has any merit, has any value at all. So as we see here, we're to love one another with fervency, with intensity. And again, this is something really hard. It's really hard. I think this is the hardest thing for us as people to do, to love one another with this kind of intensity, to be willing to die for one another, to, to first look for the needs of others before our own needs. It's really hard for people to do. And I would say everybody in this room can improve, including myself. Now, in 1 Peter 3, verse 8, we also find another attribute of um, love, and that is compassion. It says there in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, as tender-hearted, be courteous. So like Paul, we find Peter here saying that we're to be of one mind. Where Yahshua Matthew in John chapter 17, before he died, he prayed. And he prayed that we would be one as he and his father are one. Consider the gravity of that statement. You know, realize the intimacy between the father and son. Now, Yahshua says that as they are one, we are to be one. The same closeness, the same intimacy that that the Father shares with the Son and the Son shares with the Father, Scripture says we should share that same intensity. Again, unity within the body of Messiah is very important. Peter also says here that we're to be compassionate, tender-hearted, that we're to be courteous in our love as brothers in the faith. You know, over the years, I've seen examples of believers who showed little to no compassion to their fellow man, you know, those guilty of doing this are missing the mark, not showing sincere and a true agape love as we find in Scripture. Years ago, I myself wasn't real considerate in how I handled problems. Over time, though, I, I think I've learned some, something anyway, the importance of compassion, and with that also some diplomacy. You know, I would encourage all those here and those listening online to consider showing compassion. Consider showing consideration and love to one another. You know, realize that this is how Yahweh wants us to treat one another. This is, this is what Yahweh is looking for as believers. You know, instead of showing animosity, hatred, or bitterness, we should again strive to show compassion and mercy. Because again, this is all love, uh, of what it means to love. Now, another attribute of love is uh, patience. Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 13. 13 verse 4 New King James says love suffers long and is kind. The NIV says love is patient, love is kind. Paul says here that love suffers long or is patient. You know, for a lot of people, patience is not an easy thing to show. It really isn't. You know, but as we see here, patience is so important when it comes to true agape love. You know, for example, to show consideration and compassion, normally we must also show patience when we're showing compassion and consideration. 
You know, to show true, sincere, and fervent love, a person must also, also must be patient. You know, I believe that this message is so important. In fact, I believe that our salvation depends on how we love those in the assembly, how we love those in the faith, and even those around us. You know, we've talked a lot about love, what love is, and what we should be doing. I want to focus for a few moments on what love is not. Paul speaks about what love is not. So according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, love is not jealous. Here's what he says. New King James says, love does not envy. The uh, Revised says, love is not jealous. So Paul says that love does not envy or is not jealous. And I believe that jealous or jealousy is one of the most destructive attributes we find in human nature. Let me quote, I don't have this on the slide, but this is from James 3.14. It says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. So here's what he says. He says, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. You know, if you believe that you can hold envy or jealousy, I would encourage you to to, uh, reconsider that and to pray about it, to ask for forgiveness, to ask for Yahweh to help you remove that jealousy or that envy. And I believe that for those who sincerely want to overcome these carnal habits, Yahweh can see them through. And that's good news today. Yahweh can see us through. You know, remember the life of, of a believer is really about one thing, in my mind, and that is overcoming. Overcoming. Yahweh doesn't care who we were before. He doesn't care what we've done in the past. What he cares about is who we are today. What he cares about is the, are the efforts we're making today to change who we are for the better. You know, some people feel they can never change. I've, I've spoken to numerous people on the phone, especially when I was here full time, and they would say, I've just done too much. I'm beyond help. I'm beyond forgiveness. And, you know, I would always encourage those people, you're never beyond forgiveness. You're never beyond help. The fact that you're calling shows that you're not beyond help. Because if you were beyond help, you would not be calling. You would have no interest. But the fact that you're calling, you, you have an interest in changing. You have a desire to change. And you know, with Yahweh, all things are possible. That's what Scripture says. All things with Yahweh are possible. But you know, we must also do our part. You know, without my relationship with Yahweh, I don't believe that I would, have, I, that I would be a very good person today. I probably would have gone a very, down a very different path in life. And I do credit Yahweh for where I am, I'm at, what I've accomplished. Everything that I've been able to do in life, it is because of him and not because of me. Because I know who I could be, but I also know who Yahweh wants me to be. And I would pray and hope that everybody here would want the same, to realize the blessings and realize how Yahweh can change us. Now, along with jealousy, pride is also something we should avoid. This is, this is a, a major one. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, Paul again says, Love is not puffed up. New King James NIV says, Love is not proud. Love is not proud. Now, out of all the carnal habits of man, I believe that this one is the most destructive. It's even worse than jealousy, I believe. Paul says here that love is not proud. There's nothing worse than a believer with pride. You know, one reason I believe that pride is so destructive is that it often prevents a person from being able to see and therefore repent from their shortcomings. And I believe that pride is often the root cause of strife in most relationships. You know, for those married, how many, how many arguments have you had with your spouse? It's really because of pride. Even when you see it, you, you refuse to, to uh, acknowledge it. You know, I've been there. But as believers, we need to um, remove that pride and to humble ourselves. And this is especially um, important for, for spouses, but also with those within the assembly and, and just overall. So how do we overcome pride? Well, the short answer is humility. You know, you see, pride is all about you, but with humility, it's all about putting yourself down. That's the difference between the two. You know, as we saw in Philippians, Paul said there again that we're to think lowly or humbly, and that we're to think 
more of others than we do ourselves. In other words, we're to be more concerned about the other than we are of ourselves. And that means that we're to put ourselves down and we're to put them up. That's what that means. Now, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, Paul also mentions not being easily provoked. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, Love is not provoked. And the New King James NIV says, Love is not easily angered. You know, Paul says here that love, again, is not easily angered. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about those who show anger and strife. For example, Solomon in Ecclesiastes 7, 9 said, Be not hasty in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. You know, anger is also very destructive to relationships. This is true for friendships. This is true for, for certainly spouses and also true for, for any relationship. You know, I've seen strife tear apart families. I've seen strife tear apart friendships and, and even assemblies. And it's not a good thing. So how do we overcome anger? How do we overcome this, this hostility? Well, you know, since anger is often the result of pride, I believe that humility is, a, is, is good medicine for anger. Humility. Another way of dealing with it is being more patient, being more compassionate. You know, I try to remind myself sometimes that life is short and that these emotions that we allow sometimes to take root are not worth the effort. And I make my mistakes, and I'm sure you all do the same. But as a believer, it's important that we recognize that we have room to improve, and improve we must. You know, so many people live in a state of anger, and not only... Does it, does it make life miserable for them? But it makes life miserable for those around them. You know, some people believe it's sort of like sin. You know, they believe, where well, if I sin, that sin doesn't affect anybody else. Or there's, that's not true. You know, so often our sin certainly affects others. Sometimes our sins can be even multi-generational. Same thing with anger, though. Now, Paul also speaks about another thing we should avoid, and that is arrogance. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. From the New King James, it says, Love does not behave rudely. So that's what really arrogance is, rudely. And uh, the Revised says, Love is not arrogant or rude. So Paul says that we're not to be rude. This word comes from the Greek, askemonio, refers to a person who acts or behaves in a way that is unbecoming. That's based on the Strong's unbecoming. Well, this goes back to what Peter said about love being considerate and compassionate. As a believer, part of love is not being rude or impolite, especially those in the assembly. We're not to be rude or short. Again, we're to show fervent agape love and concern for those in the body of Messiah. We are to be like family. And if we're not like family... Or we're missing the mark. Because this isn't a place we come to once a week to, to go through the motions of, of what we do. If that's what we're doing, if we're simply coming to, to, to go through the motions of singing a few songs and hearing a few words, then again, we're wasting our time. We should be coming because, A, we want to worship Yahweh. We want to do it his way. But, B, that we support and we recognize the people in this room as family. And if we don't, again, we're really not where we should be. I want to close now with 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 9. 1 John 2, 9 through 10, it says, He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. You know, John says that if we hate our brother, what? What's, what's the consequence? He says that we're in darkness that we're in darkness. So you see, if we hate our brother, we will not. We will not find ourselves within the kingdom. I believe that. I don't believe that we can have hatred or animosity or bitterness or grudges within our hearts and still believe that Yahweh is going to find what we've done acceptable. We must let go of that. This is a reason why understanding how to love is so important. I'd like to summarize now. I have a chart. I think I have a chart. There it is on what love is and what love is not. So let's go through this list real quick here. We'll start with what love is. So love is forgiveness. Again, as believers, we're to show forgiveness to one another. Love is selfless, meaning that we're willing to serve one another, meaning that we're more concerned about the other person than, than we are our own needs. Where love is sincere, it's not hypocritical, it's not pharisaical. 
Love is compassionate. Love is considerate. You know, we're to think of others. We're to think of others. Such an important concept. Love is patient, long-suffering. It's actually fruit as well. We'll review that down the road. And the last one is love is kind. So this is love. This is everything. I'm sure love is more than what I have here, but certainly these are the big ones. Forgiveness, selfless, sincere, compassionate, considerate, patient, and kind. So what are the, some of the things love is not? So love is not envious. We shouldn't envy one another. We shouldn't envy what we have. We, we shouldn't envy positions. We shouldn't envy success. Love is not jealous. Love is not proud. Love is not angry. Love is not arrogant. And love is not rude. It's not impolite. You know, remember the scripture says that Yahweh is love and that Yahshua also showed that love through his own life and his own sacrifice. You know, I've said in this message and before that I believe that our eternal salvation depends upon applying what we've heard today. I really do. I'm not saying that for, for effect. I'm not saying that for emphasis. I'm saying that because I believe it. I'm saying that because it's important. If we cannot love, I just don't think we can do anything to compensate for that deficiency. You know, as we learn from Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, if we have not love, whatever we do in life is for naught. You know, he mentions in that passage that we can give our body, that we can give everything we have to the poor, that we can do this or we can do that. But he says, if we have not love, at the end of the day, all those things were for naught. And I pray that we would all consider what we've heard today. I pray that we would apply it, most of all, to our lives. And I pray that Yahweh would give us strength to overcome our personal shortcomings. Because, you know, we all have things to work on. And that's, and that's not something to be ashamed of. We all have something to, be, to, to work on and to improve. So I would encourage you to, to look within, to consider some of those things you can work on. But today... I'd like to ask you to focus on love and what it is, what it is not. And really this week, consider and ask yourself, am I showing love? Because again, the results and the implications to that question are huge. May Yahweh bless you.